Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Glam Reaper podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, aka the Glam Reaper herself. Although I'm not looking extremely glamorous today, but we're having a day, but it's really windy, snowy, rainy, all of the things here in New York. So I'm just in my comfies. Uh, we're doing a bit of recording from home today. So hope you're all warm wherever you are. And today's episode is a tough one. We're talking about child bereavement. So let's take it away. I'm your host, Jennifer Muldowney, aka the Glam Reaper herself. Not looking very glam today, but you know, whatever, we're going with it. It's cold here in New York, so I am bundled up. Um, but on today's episode, I'm very excited because we have a fellow fish from the other side of the pond uh, from the UK. We have John, um, John Adams, and he is the president of the NAFD, which for anybody who doesn't know that over here is the National Association of Funeral Directories in the UK. John, welcome. Hello to you. Nice to see you again. Yeah, I, we were just um, we were just saying how it has been. Um, well, it feels like it was ages ago, actually, that we yeah. met in Baltimore, um, and I did laugh because you, I think you've just recently been on undertaking the podcast for a second yes, time. That's correct. Yeah, last Saturday, I went on there. Yeah, yeah, you recorded with them um, with the fun boys in Baltimore, and I yeah. did hear mention of um, the Lord Sully. <laughs> Lord Sully Hall. Adam Jinder strikes again. That's correct. That still cracks me up to this day. That reservation, that absolutely still cracks me up. <laughs> yeah, it was, so, yeah it was just hilarious. I could not believe what happened. But yeah, good times. And, he can um, pull he can pull it off. Um and yeah. so we might we might actually get Adam on because I'm sure all the listeners are like, what is this? We want yeah, to know. Get, what it, get him on, get him on, he'd love it as well. But I think we good. have to get him on to reenact yeah. the reservation and yeah. all that happened. Um yeah. but I am um very excited to chat to you today. We're not going to sort of bullshit around here and we're going to get straight to it because um you're obviously the president of the National Association of Funeral Directors um, in the UK, but you are, you've got a huge petition going right now. Um, um, I've, you've been all over sort of the news. You've been all over LinkedIn. You've been traveling around. You've, this is obviously a big um, thing for you. I know we talked about it at the uh, NFDA back in Baltimore. Um, you know, you spoke about length, about your own personal experience and everything. So I'd love to share the story with my listeners. Yeah. Um, so yeah, take it away. Thanks, Jennifer. So um, the petition started when I was actually in Baltimore um, with you. Um, it went live. And so we are, we've just gone over the halfway point in time. And uh, we've just hit 7,500 signatures. Uh, we need 10,000 by April the 10th. So this petition is to add content on death, dying and bereavement into the national curriculum. And the key part of this uh, Jennifer, is it, it's taught as a compulsory measure. Um, on average, in the UK, uh, 111 children lose a parent every single day. That's every 22 minutes a parent dies. That's not including siblings, uncles, aunties, grandparents, and even pets. So the idea is that we, we have age-appropriate lessons and sessions taught to people in school, uh, and that's going to benefit the person that loses a parent or loses a, a loved one. 
It's going to help their friends in the classroom have an understanding of what that person's going through, trying to instill some compassion and empathy all over the UK. Um, it will help the teachers. There's a, you know, there are concerns, will teachers have time for this? But my view is, well, actually, this will create a more positive, closer classroom. Um, and then um, the outcome is a more positive society, a more grateful society and understanding. And these tools as well that are taught at a young age, these will then see you through to adult life. Um, and, you know, if you don't have a loss in your life, which is very, very unlikely, um, you know, if, you're, if you pass away suddenly and you, your parents, you know, are still alive, again, very unlikely that, that uh, you go through your life without a close loss. Um, but you'll have an understanding on, on knowing how to talk to people who are going through a loss. And that's just a kind of society. So who doesn't want to have that? Is my yeah, question. and it's it's um, it's interesting because, and I actually spoke with um, some of the media back home in Ireland about this. I think it's about two years ago now about this idea of introducing sort of bereavement and the you know idea of talking to children and should should the onus be on teachers and all of that. And we'll we'll get into that, but it's it, like just from my own even personal experience like when you're growing up even if you've and I've been very lucky you know as my parents my brother yeah everyone still you know but like our goldfish died like it, <laughs> small things like that our goldfish died a pet died but equally and actually I think in some ways somewhat more importantly is it's in their movies it's in yeah. their cartoons I remember being devastated when um, Mufasa died in The Lion King. I remember being devastated when Bambi's yeah. mum died. And, you know, and Pixar and Disney, I have to say, um, and I've done a bit of research on this because I actually wanted to speak at the child um, bereavement um, convention. There was a convention over here because it's children especially, and unfortunately I've been doing quite a lot of memorials lately for what I still consider children, teenagers, um, usually um, death due to suicide and stuff like that. And um, it's so important to gather all those kids in a room and for them to grieve and experience that. And yeah. I just think it's in such popular culture. Um, I mean, Pixar have dealt with that, that Coco um, yeah. movie that dealt with it, you know, and whether it's deal with it, dealing with it on a spiritual level or whether it's dealing with it um you know as in if there's practical. an afterlife yeah, yeah. but it's and creating it's a conversation yeah this yeah. is it and and that's what i've been saying as well that regardless of your religion or your, your culture um again some cultures and religions have very sort of strict processes in place which can help with loss but before that on that initial loss the feelings and emotions are going to be there regardless of what you believe in and that's all we're going to be doing. So like you said, Lion King, when Simba loses his dad, you know, okay, pausing it there, how do we think Simba's feeling? There's levels of guilt, anger, there's sadness. Um, he disappears. But then actually, it, it, you know, press play again. Look what he does. He takes his dad with him. And that's what life is, really. Um, mm. Back to this, though. You know, some schools in the UK are already teaching about death, dying, and breathing in schools. It's already happening in some the vast majority, though, the vast majority have nothing in place. And my view is, like, why should we have to rely on proactive schools and teachers? Why can't we put nets over the whole thing and give everyone an opportunity to learn about such important matters, around about the feelings associated with the loss? 
Now, quick question. Are you um, with, you know, what your petition and seven and a half thousand is amazing, by the way. I mean, you're so close to 10,000. So hopefully you can get it over the line. But um, are you, is your proposition that teachers will be teaching the children? Will that be, because I know that can be a bit of a bone of contention that teachers are already dealing with so much um, that now is this going to be another added thing that they have to add to their their repertoire? So for me, my sort of my dream would be um, to have someone come in. Like, like I was taught at primary school about sex education. Someone yeah. comes in, teaches about that, and then they disappear. Um, <laughs> that's what that's how I would like it to be. Again, it's about funding. It's about what's possible. Um, but the sessions are already in place. Companies like Project Eileen, Child Bereavement UK, and actually since the BBC article. Um, so many people are coming to me now and saying, we're doing this, I'm doing this in Bury. Um, you know, how can I get this across the whole United Kingdom? So the stuff's it's already happening. Mm. Um, you do need that willingness from teachers to, do, to obviously deliver it because it needs to be delivered well. That's the important thing. Well, yeah. Um, so, so the next part of the proposal will be around exactly what this is. I mean, I've got a letter from the Minister of Education on my desk here, you know, the conversations are already happening and they are open for conversation. So we're just working now to, to actually detail exactly what this is going to be. That's the next stage. But as I say, my job, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm not trying to be the one to take take all this on and create lesson plans. The, the great work is already taking place. It's, but as I say, it's only at some in some areas and at some schools. So my responsibility, I see, is to try and join it all up now, connect up all the dots and uh, get everyone talking and ensure this happens for everyone. And and you have, I mean, this is coming from a very emotional place for you as well. I mean, you lost your mum when you were 12, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, 12 years of age. Um, I lost now, my mum. Was, was, was there any education around then? Or, you know, how did you... Nothing at all. Deal? So so my experience then, um, in school, the communication was non-existent. And I keep saying, you know, I'm not a victim. I'm not bitter by that because that's how things were and that was normal, uh, but it can be so much better. Um, counseling at that time, I remember, you know, if you're having counseling, something's wrong with you, you know, you, you were, you're, it's a bit, it was a bit embarrassing. So I think things have moved forward now where yeah. counseling is like, it's a strength to have counseling. Yeah. Um, and actually, it's good to go and see counselors when things are fine. Yeah. Um, so, so that's, you know, that, that's moved forward. Um, but overall, as I say, a lot of schools still have nothing in place. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, live, as an Irish person living in America, um, it, it's and, and even just the little journey I've been on, um, it's very interesting. People always sort of say to me that... Um, <clears throat> Irish are great at talking about death and we're great at dealing with mm. death. And I actually completely disagree with that. I think we are great at funerals. I think the wake, you know, the fact that we come together yeah. as a community, even during times of COVID, we are very community based or historically always have been. Um, but I actually think we're not great at talking about death. It's very much, you know, how we were raised. The, I mean, Catholic Church had a stronghold of Ireland. So um, between your sexuality and death <laughs> you know yeah. those were not topics ever discussed going to therapy was not a thing you know men didn't cry like that was the way we you know even women we kind of had to have this sort of stiffness about us uh, the irish mm. mammy is sort of a renowned thing you know um yeah. so that's the way i was reared but 
so I do. I, I think it's super important to talk about these things. And just living here in the States, though, it's incredible with the amount of school shootings that are going on. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, forget seeing Bambi and Simba. These kids over here are see are witnessing death. They're witnessing death before they're yeah. six years of age. Like, yeah. that is mind-boggling. Like, for me, how I got into what I'm doing, um, you know, I didn't have, wasn't in a funeral home or anything, but for me, it was friends of mine passing away in their 20s. And I was shocked at that because to me, it was, you died of disease or old age. That was what you died from. So these six-year-olds and seven-year-olds and teenagers are now literally seeing this in front of their eyes. It's not on TV, it's fact. So in the UK now as well, we have a huge increase in suicide here now as well. You know, in the last in the last week, we've looked after two gentlemen who have taken their own life. And, you know, they weren't in school, but they're teenagers. Um, they're, you know, they're friends. The trauma around that, you know, I've been thinking about it actually the last few days around this as well, with the rise of an, an increase in suicides. Again, I'm just putting it out there, just thinking out loud. So, um just, I'll, I'll take your feedback on this as well, but I wonder as well, you know, if and when we get this put through, when we're discussing about emotions and loss and seeing the pain it can cause people a loss, could that actually help in actually reducing the rate of suicides? Because they'll know, even though they're in a state where it's just, you know, I'm sorry, I can't think about anybody else. This just needs to happen. Um, well, it, well, it, you know. After learning about how their parents and their family might feel, it might be a little pull to say, actually, I won't do this. I can't do this. That's it. I mean, and I've... um me and my colleagues and stuff have talked about this so much in the last month or so because like that, I just feel it's one person after another, it's teenagers, you know, a lot of men and um, their 20s, 30s and 40s and stuff. And it's just, it feels like an, a different kind of pandemic, to be honest. That's honestly how I feel. And it's the, 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 the tragedy of mental health is that you can never, ever assume or understand what that person was going through and will never, ever get answers. And that's the difficulty of those who are left behind is that they never do get those answers. And I'm actually super excited because I am going to be having um, a doctor who is, I never even heard of this term before I'd met her, a suicidologist. Um, so I'm going to be getting her on um, on the show soon as well. Um, and she obviously is educated and all things because I'm fascinated by the human brain and sort of psychology and how you know we're all so different that there is no one blanket cure-all but like you said if it may be at an early stage we're at least engaging in these conversations with these kids and especially I feel for men um again maybe it's just coming from Ireland but you know I remember the first time I saw my dad cry he was in his 40s after his brother died it's so unusual you know usually it's kind of and and the British, the stiff upper lip, you know, it's there's we're kind of taught not to have these emotions. Um, so I think for for kids just to be allowed to experience that, and if it's God, I mean, if it's a tragedy like a shooting or a suicide of a of a class member, that that they see the permanence of it, like, and I know this is kind of um, doesn't fit all, but you know, suicide is a permanent problem permanent answer to a temporary problem and most people who and again not most because again mental health it's so unique to everybody but a lot of people who have suffered depression even I've had 
little bouts myself. I spoke about it with Barbara Chemis of Cana before, you know, about and funeral directors and stuff. Everybody experiences low points. Um, but most people will say that while they thought they couldn't go on anymore or however dark it got, years later, they're like, I'm so glad I just kept going because now my life, I'm the happiest I've ever been or whatever it might be. Um, and some people are still struggling and, you know, maybe always will and stuff. But it is, it's a permanent, it's a permanent solution. And I just, I wish more of these kids would, would realise that, I think. And on that, it's, it'll be, it's, it's, it's easier it's easier to, to build young people than repair and try and fix yeah. old people. And that's, yeah. and that's the key. It's education at a younger age. So, yeah. again, try and instill compassion and empathy into younger people. Yeah. Not only will it have benefits on what you're saying here, but on the, you know, growing up to realise that having a, a Bugatti is not actually, you know, yeah. it's nice, but it's not actually a priority in life. It's how we treat people. Yeah. That's the priority. Yeah. That's that's exactly it. And it's even, you know, even for, for me and it's small, small things, but um, I'm very honoured. Um, actually, I'm speaking at the Irish Consulate um, here in New York next week on a panel of uh, quote unquote extraordinary women um, who are sort of challenging um, stereotypically male roles. And while that's a great honour, um, absolutely. Like, again, I feel like we just have to take and my TEDx talk was even about this. We just have to take judgment away from situations yeah. like for example um a child who maybe their goldfish died and he's crying you know mom or dad might say oh for god's sake it's only a goldfish come on we'll bury him in the yeah, backyard maybe having that facility in school where he can actually cry and can let his feelings out yeah, yeah. i know for me as a 40 year old woman you know i'm expected to have had kids and a husband and uh, you know kind of the certain expectations and yeah. you know maybe it's, that it's is judgmental it's judgmental it's, exactly it? it's people yeah. putting their own judgment and their own idea of what perfect life should be yeah. i mean i'm the happiest i ever am and yeah. I, I also know some people with kids <laughs> and spouse, yeah, yeah. like that's why but yeah. you know it's 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 putting these judgments on people like oh you're this so you should be that you're whatever so you should be this you're from this country so you should be that you know it's just really just letting people grieve in their own way as well yeah, and, yeah. and, and still, you know i have it i have a bit of an issue actually and i think this petition and the last couple of years it starts to really highlight it and my teaching i do as well is all these breathing models and cycles of grief i find them very irritating um i think we need to just like start again almost yeah you know, death is unique it is uh, emotions are unique so well, i think that's half the problem we have these like diagrams this is how we should be feeling this is where you, you could be at well actually no you know it's so you know, obviously you need something you need some foundations down to try and help people but it's about communication and, that, and people knowing actually today you had a little laugh that's that's also fine you know that's yeah. okay don't don't yeah. punish yourself for that so we yeah. just need to just uh almost i think start again with all this stuff really um it's uh, and it's you know what it's you've actually touched on something that i often um talk about in terms of even what i do um 
because a lot of people, when I started what I do, people thought, oh, she's just throwing a party and she, you know, she's making light of a situation and dancing on people's graves and that sort of thing. And I'm like, that's absolutely not what I'm trying to do at all. And I do think as a society, we do sort of need a blueprint. And I think that's why these grief models and I think that's why they all sort of work for us because we're like, oh, I'm in denial now. Okay, we, there's a comfort to that. And I actually firmly believe in the ritual of a funeral. What I just believe is that we're all completely unique and different and not everyone wants to go to a Catholic church or go to a funeral. Some people want to have it by the beach. Some people want to have it in a hotel room. Some people, everyone, we're all just completely different. That's what I believe. It's not that I'm trying to get rid of the funeral. I actually think the funeral is a super important part of your grief process. And I think exactly that. It gives people a blueprint of, okay, this is what they're having. They're having a service for Sarah will say they're having a service for Sarah. Um, okay, I can show up and I can. This is how I show my support. We, we as a society, do sort of need parameters, um, yeah. to guide us. I For think guidance. Guidance. We need guidance, but actually, but it's not boxing us in. It's not. Yeah, yeah. Shouldn't be boxed what, in. And that's what, again, you know, what we do here, what, and what I pride myself on is about how we empower people. And it's just on the BBC. It's that sounds great. But it's actually how you action that. Yeah. And actually, it's highlighted for me the the funeral service um, is that platform to say goodbye to someone. But actually, there's lots of things we can do along the way as well, which which form part of that process of letting go and yeah. allowing people to move forward in the, in the most positive way. Yeah. Things things like allowing families and telling families it's okay if they want to be the ones to close the coffin. Yeah. You know, we'd be there to guide them again. Yeah. Um, the Leaf family that are on the BBC with me, um, you know, we have a little scanning machine here which takes fingerprints of the deceased. I said, do you want to help me do that? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. And we actually then ended up taking all their fingerprints and all those fingerprints now are on the headstone of all the family. Um, but they were part of that process. You know, we were yeah. in there and they were they were giggling and it was just so yeah. special. And that's yeah. how it can be. Um, yeah. A mother who's who lost her son to suicide. She came in here desperate, um, fear factor, totally out of her depth, had no control, and it's about giving her control and telling her that her son is still hers, and and now offering her things to make her know that her son is hers. So she came to that to our mortuary. We changed the environment in the mortuary. I showed her a mortuary first as a mortuary. Uh, the sounds of the refrigeration units on, took her back down to the reception, had a cup of tea, and then during that time, myself and my colleague Darren, we put the candles on, turned off the sound of the refrigeration, put on their favourite soundtrack, it was Queen, played just quietly in the background, take away the silence. Um, and she came back up, and she was really unsure, really really fearful about how to, what to expect, and her son's taken his own life, so just the actual overwhelming feeling of that, but then going up there, and she was part of it all. Like putting it, putting his socks on was so special, and and it was just so so beautiful. And and that actually is as important as the female service as well. But again, it's about the industry listening to their clients to ensure that the family have everything they need. And that can be really really simple, or really really detailed and personal. The key thing is, I'm always thinking, where will we be tomorrow, and where will we be in five years' time. It's about, and that's what our responsibility is, is to ensure that they have everything they need uh, to ensure they move forward the right way. 
And that's that's so refreshing to hear um, because it's not not many that say that because uh, it's one thing I'm always pushing or, or saying, um, pushing by saying is that it's about meeting families where they're at. It's not about where you want your casket sales to be our coffin sales or, you know, it's not what you think it should should but, happen. But ca- casket sales, you know, I'm aware I'm aware that's, you know, culture in the culture of the uk it's different to america i'm aware of that but my view is if you make it exactly what they want and like for cremation for us i'll suggest you know a basic coffin um, because i think what's required but surely if you're looking after the family to the highest of standards over time you're going to have um you're going to serve more people due to the standards you offer and that actually it's genuine care and it's just about them yeah well, it should be. It absolutely should be like that, John. But there is, I, you know, I've no, I know some of my families um, themselves have have called me and are horrified by certain car salesman attitudes that they kind of get. And you know, look, it's okay. it, that's the unfortunate part is there are those like every industry, and um, there's the good mm. and the bad, you know. And so, unfortunately, sometimes the bad stories get out there, you know, like during COVID here, the bodies were sort of racking up and. You know, and then the, there was the famous case of the woman who was, or the two women who were selling body parts just there recently. I mean, those are the ones that make the news, mm. um, unfortunately. And then they're the ones that taint the rest of the industry. Whereas, like the things that, like what you're doing with trying to get this bereavement care into curriculum in the UK, don't make the news as much, and that can be very frustrating. I find um, for me now, as we move forwards, what I'd really like to do is highlight the special work, the sector. In the US, the UK, all over Europe, what we do, it's, I think we undervalue ourselves in this industry. We undervalue the, the level we work at. Um, you know, people in their darkest time come to us and we have to be reactive because they're walking through the doors at their darkest time and we have to look after them and help them. And the vast majority of funeral homes in the United Kingdom that I know are doing amazing work, but it's all off the radar. Um, I've said this before, the key workers, the clapping on the doorsteps, the key workers, NHS staff. You know, I was there clapping as well, rightly so. But actually, it appears that the funeral industry is not part of that category. And no. we really we really should be. We really should be. And I, and I believe that actually once we get into that category, coffin sales doesn't become the priority because we know our worth and we know what we're doing yeah. it for. Absolutely. So I think it, I think it will come back round. I think it will come back round where again we just remember how special the role is. Well, that's it. And I think it, it absolutely will come back around. And I think it has to come back around, John, because there is there's so many other innovators now who have had poor experiences, who have then innovated within the industry or whatever it might be. So they the direct cremations, you know, and all of these other players that are coming into the field. Like I've said it. My good friend Larry, we had, I think, a whole podcast about it where, um, you know, it, it nearly shouldn't be about putting money on each item. It should be about a consultancy fee, valuing your job. And the job of a funeral director is incredible. And it is exactly like a nurse and a doctor. You're with people when they need it the most. So stop devaluing yourself and value the service you're giving or else, you know, and I think if, if you're nearly looking at it like commodity, like, Oh, money on this money on that, then you're completely devaluing and you're, yeah, it's just not going to work. But so I do think it will evolve to that for sure. Good. I think yeah, it well, has to be 
for survival. And it, and it needs us all, though, to sort of speak out and actually remind people how special the role yeah. is. Oh. And, and already in our society is the work we do. But again, though, like with the bereavement awareness stuff, it's all under the radar. We don't discuss that. Well, actually, it's time we should discuss it because actually the results will be a lot more positive. Yeah, I completely agree, 100%. Well, listen, um, amazing to talk to you, um, as always, and thank you so much for sharing. Tell us the petition. I know, obviously, I'm based in New York and then from Ireland. Can Irish people vote or is so it just UK? So it's, it's UK. It's okay. UK. Um, well, we'll share the link anyway and sure we'll yeah, see. You. That'd be fantastic. It's on the NEFD website. Um, you'll see it all over social media now. Um, and if you just Google... Um, add content on death, dying, and dreaming international curriculum, uh, it should pop up. And Perfect. It'd be, it'd be fantastic if you can support it. Um, yeah. And your, your listeners are going to get behind it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, um, we wish you the absolute best of luck with it. You've only got another two and a half thousand. That's nothing. You should know, be absolutely well, I'm pleased. It's, um, it's, uh, it's been an interesting time. It's learning about the psychology of how people actually engage with it as well. So... Absolutely. Um, no, I'm, really, I'm really grateful to everyone getting behind you. So good, you. good. There's always going to be naysayers out there, but you just have to keep plowing on through. So. I like those. I want to meet more of those. So, <laughs> yeah. Love a challenge. Yeah, I do. So. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. And yeah. uh, sure, we'll watch this space and maybe we'll get you back on when it's been approved and see That'd what your great. next steps are. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. So what did you think of today's episode? Um, hopefully it didn't um, affect too many of you too harshly. Definitely if you're in the UK, check out the petition, see if you're interested in signing it or not. And we'd love to hear from you on this and any other topics that we talk on the Glam Reaper podcast. Shoot us an email, glamreaperpodcast at gmail.com and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>